Hey everybody, welcome to all of you that are listening at home or in your car or wherever you are. And welcome to the fourth and final episode of Know Thyself, an exploration of the Enneagram and you. This is the FBC Young Adults Podcast and I'm John Lemons, the minister to young adults at First Baptist Church here in Huntsville, Alabama. And I'm joined today by Scott Day, our minister to missions and his wife, Allie. Scott and Allie have joined us all month to talk to us about the Enneagram and they are um, I guess can we call you guys like Enneagram evangelists or whatever? I don't I don't know how I'm still talking about but those are some loaded terms. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they they are. But you guys have walked through walked with us all month through the different numbers of the Enneagram. And today we're gonna finish up with the final three, numbers uh, five, six, and seven, which are known as the thinking triad. So we'll look at some of the key traits of those uh, for, for those of us or our friends and family groups who fall into this triad. We'll look at some ways to encourage them, ways to explore spiritual growth through knowing your number. And then where to go if you want to dig a little bit deeper into exploring who you are and how God created you or what your number says about you. Now, if you haven't listened to our previous episodes, you're going to want to hit pause and go back and listen at least to our first episode, because in there we do talk about the usefulness of the Enneagram, uh, why we're doing this series and ways not to use the Enneagram. So be sure to go back and listen to that if you haven't already. And if you have been listening to our previous episodes, you may have noticed that we were a bit delayed in publishing our last episode, episode three. Uh, so I had a lot of people text me like, what's going on? What happened? And normally you might think, you, you might notice on the show, we're joined by Sam Maxwell, our young adult ministry resident. And we have been recording these on Wednesday afternoons or Thursday mornings. And I've been using most of my Thursday to produce them. But last Thursday I had a conflict. So I asked Sam to produce the show for us. And you may notice he's not here today. And you may be wondering, did we cut him from the show? Cause he couldn't put it together. Uh, no, we didn't. No, we didn't. I did. I felt so bad for him. He had a number of technical issues and was working on it well into last Thursday night or Friday even. And I just I said, hey, man, it's it's you tried really hard. It's it's OK. Let it go. And and we'll fix it on uh, after the weekend. So we, he gave it a good run. And if you've used a com- computer before, you know that sometimes they don't cooperate. And that's what happened. So we were able to clean it up and get it out Tuesday morning. And hopefully you've been able to listen to that. It was episode three, like I said. And, uh, you know, honestly, I, I did kind of like having a few days to to put it together uh, before putting it out. So we, we may try that again. We may get this one out first of the week. We'll see how that goes. But regardless, Sam is not with us today, not because we've cut him out of the show, but just because he's taking a well-deserved vacation, um, some time off. So in his place, we have invited a special, special guest. So without further ado... Slowly, here comes the there. There it is. Oh, and she came out of the light like just like like an angel, like the angel I am. <laughs> yes, excellent. <laughs> hey guys. Hey Charlie. Yeah. Welcome back for me. to the FBC yeah. podcast, Young Adult Podcast. How are you? I I, I ask as you drink your your coffee. <laughs> My bougie coffee. Yeah. Um, fantastic. Slightly annoyed. We are currently doing construction in our music ministry wing of the church. So if you hear bangs and bongs and bangs, it is not <laughs> Allie and Scott fighting. It yes, is nice. So, so I have to ask, have you been listening along as we've gone through the Enneagram this month? I have. I have. I um, particularly listened to the first two. I think I got pulled away in the middle of the last week's episode was week right? That is correct. Yeah. Okay. I got pulled away in the middle of that one, but it wasn't about me. So I really didn't care. Nice. Nice. So you, so you fell into the first triad. Is that right? Sure did. Yes. I am an eight wing nine. All right. And did we like kind of nail down the bits and parts of, of who you are when we talk about number eight? Yeah, pretty much. Um, I, I am one of those people and Allie probably knows exactly what I'm talking about, but I'm one of those people that, 
Um, I did, I wasn't offended by the Enneagram when I started learning about it. Like, don't put me in a box. I wasn't like that because I am actually more type A and loved math growing up. So I am cool with having some compartments and getting to define things. But at the same time, most of like how eights are described is so like domineering and, and just almost aggressive. I don't, um, relate to that a lot and suppress a lot more than an, a common eight. Um, so that's why I, I wing so heavily nine, but I'm just so used to, I'm used to like tuning that part out when I hear those descriptions of like, that's not me. That's not me. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, other than that, I was on the head. You speak about that. So uh, we haven't even gotten into wings, but I know week one, I think Allie even said, you know, wings are a thing, but we're not really going to get into that. But, but for those listening, can you, Allie, summarize in like 60 seconds, like what, what wings mean and where people could go to look more into that if they wanted to? Yeah. So your wing is either the, a number on either side of you. So you can't be like a one with a five wing. You're going to be a one with a two wing or a one with a nine wing or a four with a three wing or a four with a five wing. Um, and it is just more nuances to your specific Enneagram number, you can take on some characteristics depending on which way you lean. People have different opinions on if you have one for half of your life and then the other one, or if you have one the whole time, um, there's some different opinions on that. So like I said a couple weeks ago, I like to talk about the Enneagram like a color wheel because you can be different shades of the same color. Your wings are part of attributing to that. So that's just part of looking like a different four or a different five or different six or whatever. Um, the Enneagram Institute is a great place to look. I can talk more about that. There are several other podcasts that I'm sure talk about wings. And I believe that it's mentioned in the book that we've talked about too. Awesome. Well, excellent. Thank you. So we'll we'll post more links into that in our in our show notes. So if you want to look into more uh, what that is about, we've we've posted uh, other resources in our show notes the whole time. So so we'll continue to do that. And with all that being said, let's go ahead and dive into this last triad, the the thinking triad. We'll start with uh, number five, right, Scott? Yes, sir. Yeah. So five, six, and sevens are going to be our thinking slash fear triad. So we've talked about. Each week, one number is going to internalize, one number is going to externalize, one number is going to avoid. So first number on the triad is the five, which is the observer or the instigator. They're going to be intense, cerebral, uh, perceptive, innovative, and sometimes even secretive. So fives are all about wanting to know why things are the way that they are. They want to know, how does this work? You know, they want to take the toy apart and see what all the parts are doing. They're trying to really uh, search, ask questions, um, and know something to its fullest capacity. So at their best, fives are um, visionaries. They're often ahead of their time because they're thinking about all the pieces um, that could happen in the future. Uh, they're able to see the world in compartments too. So they categorize things that they observe really, really well. Um, they don't like ambiguity. They like collecting information. They like lectures and learning. It's said that they're the most emotionally detached of all the numbers. They really easily let their feelings go, um, right? They're all thinking orientated. So if you ask how a five feels, they're going to tell you what they think. Uh, what else? What else about fives? Um, so because they're kind of analytical and more, they involve, they're sorry, they participate in life through observing it rather than participating in it. So like Scott said, they're going to respond with thinking, um, but that also can mean that they're kind of setting back. Um, and just watching and analyzing it within their own head rather than maybe talking about it or things like that. So usually that means that they are 
they tend to be quieter and in their head. Um, some might say like a classic introvert would be a five. Um, we talked a little bit about how that doesn't really play into the Enneagram, but sometimes there are some characteristics that go along with it. So a five definitely is one of those. Yeah, they are highly rational. Um, they're going to think about something, you know, and they're going to go home and think about it some more and come back the next day and think about it some more. So, you know, we talked last week about professions with some Enneagram. So these are kind of your classic researchers, developers, accountants, accountants um, engineers, engineers. For I mean, sure. I would think Huntsville's. Huntsville's yeah. yeah. I, I feel like Huntsville's full of fives. Huntsville as a city seems to have like a five personality. So yeah. uh, five's biggest need is they want to fully understand. So they not only want to find out the information, they want to know every single detail, every single part. Like we talk about people doing a deep dive on something. Fives are going to do a deep dive on a lot of things because they want the information. Um, they're not going to learn about one thing. They're going to learn about all about that one thing. Um, we also talked about a lot about um, how nines are the lowest energy of number of the numbers and eights are the highest. Fives are going to kind of fall into that lower energy category, but it's more of they have a limited amount of energy to spend each day. And when it's gone, it's gone. So they're very um, kind of picky with what they put the energy into and on so they can kind of detach. That's their um, way of not giving energy when they don't want to because they only have so much to give. Does that make sense a little bit? Yeah, that makes total sense to me. Yes. So, that, so that goes into their arrows. So, you know, on the image of the Enneagram, they're going to have arrows going to different numbers. So in stress... Uh, a five is going to take on habits of the seven, who we'll talk about later. Um, they're going to become more detached. They're going to become more scattered mentally. They're not going to be able to compartmentalize things well. They can become hyperactive, so they can go to one thing and to one thing to one thing and not be able to sit down and do one task well. At their best, uh, in security, they look like an eight, look like Charlie's number. Um, they're much more self-confident. They're more decisive. So they're not only taking in the information, uh, but then they're making a decision based upon it and they're moving forward. So each week we've talked about there's a wounding message and a healing message for each number. Um, the wounding message for a five is that it's not okay to be comfortable in the world. And the healing message is your needs are not a problem. Wow. Um, Different Mike. So my brother's a five. He's an accountant. He's a very classic five. Um, I told Scott a story from when he was growing up that instead of like playing with his toys and stuffed animals, he would like line them up based on size or pattern. He would put them into categories. And like that was the way that he did things was like seeing patterns, um, even from like early on as a child. So that's very five to kind of box things and, and analyze them in that way. Um, and that's just how he sees things. And this is why he is our financial planner. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, fives also, similar to nines, talk about how nines um, can see both sides of things. Fives are truly capable of remaining neutral. Um, similar in that way that they can see both sides, they can actually remain neutral on a topic, um, which is pretty unique to them. And then lastly for fives, we've talked about um, what is something to enable their spiritual growth. For, for fives... Um, like we said, they can become detached. So they're often really good at seeing all the sides because they can emotionally detach from all of the different groups. Um, but they need to attach themselves to something. And so being able to share the fullness of their story is really important for fives. Fives often will only tell you a snippet and they'll tell a different snippet to someone else and a different snippet to someone else. Uh, but letting a spouse, letting a best friend, letting a spiritual director fully in 
uh, to know the fullness of a personality is really healthy for a five. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. I, it's all, all about for fives is getting, getting out of the head and getting into the heart or into the body. I John, mean, is this you? <laughs> even going outside for a walk, being in the physical, material body uh, is a healthy practice to get out of the head. Yeah. Interesting. So part of it is... I me. just can see wheels turning a little <laughs> bit on your end. Yeah, so part of it is... Um, I've So Emily's really familiar with the Enneagram. Uh, and she has said she thought... She thought I was either a five wing six or a six wing five. And so there are parts of it that I'm like, oh yeah, that's totally me. Um, I think I sort of understand the neutrality thing that you're talking about. And I would say, yes, that's me, but it depends on the topic, I would say. You know, um, yeah, I'm not always, um, so I wasn't the kid that like took toys apart and investigated them or whatever. My brother totally was. Um, but I do think I'd like to think I do that with ideas and that sort of thing, or like I'll you read, a, I'll read a book or, and I'll just kind of turn it around in my head and I will, um, I will kind of walk through something in my head, like all the way through and be way far down the line before I even share it with someone. And I find a lot of times um, I'm, I'm I'm poor, number one, at communicating, you know, uh, kind of where I am or, or how far along um, I've, I've kind of thought through something. And I have found that a lot of times I will, I will find myself sharing something and, and people will say, well, what about blah, 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 blah. And I'll be like, Oh, I've already thought about that. Like that's, that's old news, you know, like, and, and to me it was cause like I've, I've thought it through. Um, but I don't always do a good job, I think, of, of communicating that, I guess, or understanding um, that I, I guess sometimes I get offended, maybe, that um, people seem to, um, I don't know what, what the word I'm looking for is. People seem to like not assume that I've, that I've thought things through, I guess. Like underestimate them. Yeah. And so sometimes that that kind of. That might put me more into that like eight territory where I'm like, no, 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 no. I know what I'm talking. I know what I'm talking about. You know, I don't know. Um, so yeah, so like parts of this, absolutely, and then parts that I'm like, eh, I don't know. So. See, Charlie, this is good because on the surface, this is an enneagram podcast, but in reality, this has been like a we're unraveling the core <laughs> yeah. of John. <laughs> that's right. It's, it's not a therapy session, it but it's more of like a what's the core identity and that's personality of John Lemons, and it's so been true. wonderful. <laughs> that is so true. Wow. So it, it has been a process of self-discovery for me and okay, i might so be more confused you. than i was when i started perfect <laughs> well that means that we're not professionals but we will still collect <laughs> our um sam i'll let him know we'll collect our stipend yeah of uh giving you your therapy yeah yeah <laughs> and, and sam has said sam has said he's a five for sure so yes. yeah uh, he was actually disappointed to to miss yeah, today he's not here yeah, yeah. sam is uh so so is there is there like a quintessential Sam story about about being a five that that you might know Scott or Alex? So I did a thing with Sam uh called Uptick which is uh it was like a ministerial year long training process where we were in a cohort, we met together once a month. Um and I don't think that Sam talked for like the first 4 months of meeting. Right because he's thinking yeah. so much yep. about what's being said. Yep. And in the next session, he's still thinking about what was said then. And then when he does say something, it was incredibly profound because he's put in so much mental exercise into the thing that he wanted to say. Right. So I think that's the gift of the five is that they're often really quiet and they're often really emotionally detached. Yeah. But when they do plug in to their emotional sense and when they do 
you know, share with you that nugget, it's um, it's going to be pure gold. Yeah. Yeah. And I will say I find I find that about myself too. Where like in in my head, I guess I underestimate what I bring to a topic, um, and I do tend to be if I don't have to be the center of attention. Like I mean, there are times in in my role where I'm the the leader of an event or whatever, and, and yeah, I, you have to be kind of center stage and lead the group or whatever. But if I don't have to be that, I prefer to be a wallflower. And I prefer to just kind of observe what's going on. And I, I find myself a lot of times, like for instance, last year I was in a, um, I was in a panel discussion in front of 50 people. And I, the whole time I was like, why am I on this panel? Like I, I have nothing to bring to this. Um, it was on race. I was the only, um, I was the only white Christian on, on the stage, white male Christian. And I was like, ah, this is, I was totally uncomfortable. And I really tried the whole panel to not say much, but I said a few things and, and I was kind of shocked because when I would say things like I would get this response, like, like a couple of times people like clapped. And then, um, after it was over, like I was walking out and this girl came up and she was like, Hey, don't underestimate like what you bring to this discussion. The things that you said need to be heard. And I was like, okay, thanks. Like it was like, the, I was like, I didn't think I brought that much to the, to the table. But so I find that a lot of times that. I guess I, I don't value, I guess, what I bring as much as other people seem to. Um, I don't know. I don't I get Maybe that's fiveness, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I think that's perfect. And too, you know, fives are, I think of, especially in our church ministerial world, like some of us are big picture thinkers. Some of <laughs> us are idea, visionary people. And then some of us needs to be the ones that think logistically through the 40 things that need to be thought through yeah. to make this a success. And that's where fives like find their stride. I mean, they're the ones that are going to say, Hey, we should do this um, Halloween event. And the fives are going to be the one to sit down and say like, okay, we need X, X, you know, all of these things to make it work. So yeah, I mean, fives are, they're like the behind the scenes engineers that make everything work. Interesting. We need you, John. <laughs> nice. Sixes. Yeah, let's talk about sixes. Sixes are known as the loyalists. So it's thought that sixes make up like half of the world. Uh, this is a this is a very common number. So sixes are committed. They're responsible. They can also be suspicious. Um, they're suspicious of you. Suspicious of you. Yeah, they're not uh, like they're like, not. Suspect. I don't trust them. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good clarification. Yes. Yeah, um, good. They're reliable. They're hardworking. They're trustworthy. Um. They can also be cautious and indecisive. Um, so my sister is a six on the Enneagram, and I have several stories that can show you why. Um, but like the indecisive thing, we used to have a running joke when I was still living at home and she was in college. Um, <laughs> she would call my mom almost every time she went to the grocery store because she couldn't make decisions. And it was just like, that's just Melissa. Like all the time she just needed help deciding things because she needed someone else to guide her through it. So sixes can kind of be, um, they lean on other people's voices rather than their own. Um, they have a really hard time being confident in their own decisions. They need somebody else to be an authority to lean on. Yeah, so they're going to be the externalizers of fear. So, you know, sixes sixes are the most loyal of any number. I mean, they are going to clamp on to one person, and they're going to be like the ride or die. So my, uh, my brother is a six, and he, you know, was my best friend growing up. He's my best man at my wedding, and he will continue to be my best. Like, I'll never question that. He'll always be there. Um they're the go down with the ship type people. They're also going to be the devil, the devil's advocate. You know, they always want to see all sides and they want to be loyal to everyone. At the end of the day, they don't want to make anyone mad at them. Mm. 
Sixes are also um, classically called worst case scenario thinkers um, because they tend to worry so much. They have a plan for when things go wrong for almost everything that they do in their lives. Um, they think through all the things that could fail and how they might respond to that. So that's a pretty classic six. Um, so when the pandemic happened or is happening, uh, there were a lot of sixes in my life that made some jokes about it because they've been pre prepared for this their whole lives. Um, you know, worrying and anxiety, they've got it down. <laughs> nice. Yeah, they are They are kind of your core value type people. They value home, family, security, safety. Um, yeah, I think that's a good thing about sixes. I think we'll, we'll leave it there. Their biggest need is to be secure, is to feel secure. So security, safety, that's kind of their core tenets. Um, they need plans. They need predictability. Uh, Allie and I are about to go visit uh, her family in Oregon and see her sister. And when we told her we were coming, you know, she's got there's a, already a plan. There's like 40 <laughs> things that we're going to do for that week. And she's got it all, you know, planned out. So their biggest fear is not being supported. Um, not only by individuals, but systems as well. Yeah. Um, so their wounding message is you can't trust yourself and their healing message is you are safe. So sixes are really driven by fear. Um, and like we said before, they're really not reliant on their own decisions or making them by themselves. It's really hard for them to not ask somebody else for advice when they're trying to make a decision um, because they have this fundamental belief that they can't trust their own decisions. Yeah, so the arrows for a six, when they are uh, safe at their best in security, they look like a nine, the peacemaker. So they, they relax. They stop worrying so much. Uh, they're not as pessimistic. They're more optimistic about the future. They kind of ease uh, into life. So like Scott said, we're going to visit my sister and she has all these plans. But she told me that like when she's on vacation or she's going to visit somebody else, she kind of goes into that nine space and she doesn't need to be in control. Um, she can let things go a lot easier. And that's part of that secure place for her. Yeah, she's not going to be worried about, you know, everything going down with the ship when we get there. Like, it's so fine. And if it doesn't work out, that's okay. So that's when they're at their best. At their worst in stress, they look like a three, the achiever. Um, they can become much more competitive than they need to. Um, Image-oriented, um, worried about success, um, a lot more controlling. So sixes, they go to control because they're afraid. A lot of people do that, even if you're not a six. Um, that's a normal tendency. So they're trying to control everything because they want it to be safe and secure. Um, and they'll do that even more so when they're in a three space because they're in that stressful situation yeah spiritual growth lastly for a six um do we know do you know what the line is 365 times in the bible so famous one do not be afraid do not, not be afraid nice. nice so right. for sixes um all about fear being able to trust uh not only others uh but trusting god it, that's a big deal for sixes. So part of that whole worrying thing is, and wanting to be in control is being unable to let go and trust that God has your best interest or that God knows what he's doing. Like that's a big thing um, for sixes to try to let go and learn um, because the longer that you're holding on, you're not letting it go to God. So that's a really good thing for uh, sixes to, to work on doing. You know, it's going to make you super uncomfortable, but John, <laughs> I think you're a six. I, I think you're a six wing five. Listen, I'm sitting here thinking the whole time. A, kudos to you for being on staff here for three months and being able to figure out what I am. Because uh, <laughs> I can't figure out what I am. Um, Yeah, so like I, I need to do a lot more exploring because there's a lot of this that resonates with me as well. So like a true six. 
there's Mrs. a lot that we also didn't go into. So like, um, there for sixes, there's phobic sixes and counterphobic sixes, and it has a lot to do with how they trust authority. So sixes are going to rely on authority, um, and counterphobic sixes are going to rebel. Both are, both of them are based on fear, but sixes that are phobic are going to not do something because they're afraid of it, and counterphobic sixes might do something because they're afraid of it. Can it go so back? There's a lot that. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. There's just a lot that we didn't get into because, you know, like we said, the Enneagram has lots of layers, but like for sixes, there is this like kind of wow. split between them. Can it go back and forth depending on like within the same person, depending on the leader? Okay. It depends on who you ask, but from the people that I have learned the Enneagram from, yes, you can be both phobic and counterphobic in one person, depending on the situation. Huh. Okay. I would say that definitely has described situations I've been in. I would say, um, the indecisiveness can you not tell uh yes <laughs> <laughs> i'm telling you you're just talking like a six uh there was one other thing you said that i was like oh yeah that's totally me um oh i do Worst tend scenario planning oh absolutely all the time yeah. I, would, I saw what... you shake your head and i was like yeah I, w- I wouldn't say planning but like in my so yeah internally Awareness. yes like i am I, t- I tend to things turn out not th- things turn out okay because i usually assume the worst and then i go into it i'm like oh this isn't so bad you know, but that's totally. And then, and then the other thing is, um, I do not, I do not like to be surprised, um, in any, in any scenario. I don't like to be ambushed. Um, and, and what I will do, uh, like going into the weekend, for instance, I've gotten to the point where I will say to, to my family, like, okay, who has plans? Because once I know, okay, it's Saturday morning, I'm going to do X, Y, Z. And then, you know, when my youngest daughter comes out and was like, you know, hey dad, can you make pancakes or waffles? It it if I'm not already planning to do that, it really gets me all internally angry and 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 yeah. uh, I don't even know if angry is the right word, but just like in, internally offset. So um, that part I really resonate with. Yes. So wow. To gain a little brownie points, I what like came up in my brain was when um, I was reminded because this is all like coming back to me. I've I've known about the Enneagram for a while and studied it for about a year. Like that's all I really cared about in life. But when I was reminded about at your healthiest being a nine, that's what really, really made me think of you. Yeah. Um, th- when, when they said that too. Yeah. I thought that too. Yeah. Yeah. Just to boost your Thanks. confidence in yourself so you can trust yourself. You're helping me become more decisive, Charlie. I'm glad you're here. <laughs> <laughs> so awesome. Let's look at, uh, let's look at number seven. All right. The seven, the last of our Enneagram numbers. So we're still on the thinking and fear triad. Sevens are going to be the ones who avoid fear. And so we'll talk about what that means. So seven is known as the enthusiast or the epicure, if you like, $2 words, as my grandfather would say. So sevens are versatile. Um, They're always doing new things, but they often can be busy and even scatterbrained. Um, They're kind of the quintessential extroverts. They are always optimistic. I think of these people as like the definition of joy. Um, If I was going to be a number on the Enneagram, I would want to be sevens. That doesn't mean they don't have their problems. They're just like, these are the playful, um, the high spirited. They're always doing something fun. Um, at their best sevens, um, have really worthwhile goals, really lofty goals. Um, they're appreciative. They're always satisfied with life. You know, these are kind of the people that are are, at their best. Yeah. At their, at their best. Now sevens tend to not be that way. Um, being satisfied by something because they want the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. They're on the go. They're seeking out the next adventure. It's like, it feels like they always have a plan for something bigger and better. Um, my sister 
is a six and her husband is a seven. And she said, you know, like we could go camping and it's really fun, but he's already thinking of what we need for to make the next camping trip better. And to her at first, it was like, it seemed like he was not content with what had happened. And she was like, well, I thought this was fun, but it's just that he's like, this is how I can make this even better. Like that's sevens. Um, they can be uh, indulgent in <laughs> anything that is good. You know, too much of a good thing doesn't sound like a thing to a seven because they just want to keep making it better. Yeah, it said that for a seven, you know, the pleasure in life is from the anticipation of something coming about. So when reality strikes, sometimes it can be disappointing for a seven. So they avoid a fear. For sevens, it can look like avoiding pain. Uh, so sevens, right, they're always this kind of um, spontaneous, fun-filled, joyful individuals. Um, it's really hard for a seven to grieve properly. Um Handling really any negative feelings is hard yeah. for a seven. They want to stay in positive and more positive categories. Like I talked about fours can kind of have this big range of feelings um, and they can have it within a matter of an hour. Sevens have half of that range because they want to only experience the happy and the positive things. They want to avoid those negative And so when those things, they are confronted by them, it's really hard. Um, they're not sure what to do with that and they want yeah, so for professional life at work, sevens are going to be your brainstormers. They're going to be your planners, your your future goal-oriented people. You know, they're like, man, 2021 could be crazy. We can do this, this, and this, and this. Uh, making that reality might not be something a seven is good at, but they're always going to be the big picture, the next thing type people. So for sevens, their biggest need is to avoid pain, like we said. Uh, but really, it's to be content with what they're doing, to not find pleasure in the anticipation, but the pleasure in the actual act and in the reflection of the action as well. Um, so they're fearful of being deprived of the fullness of life um, and just being in pain. This is something they want to avoid. I feel like sevens probably have some serious FOMO most of the time. Nice. Um, they would not like to miss out on the most fun thing. Um, so they can be kind of flaky because they're looking for the best thing, not just the thing that they could do necessarily. Nice. Um, the wounding message for sevens is it's not okay to depend on anyone for anything. So they often feel alone. Um, and the healing message is your needs will be taken care of. So arrows for a seven at their best in their security, they're going to look like a five, the observer, because they're going to become more focused. They're not just going to be, you know, thinking of these huge ideas kind of at the 30,000 foot level. They're going to be more practical, get things done. And stress, um, they're going to look like a one, uh, the perfectionist. So uh, they're going to become hypercritical, right? That camping trip wasn't good enough. We could have done it better. Let's do it better next time. Um, they can be just kind of snippy almost. I don't know if that's a word, but <laughs> it is now. Nice. I think it's a word. Yeah, and then, and then lastly for, for the seven spiritual growth, um, you know, their need is to avoid pain. Uh, but that just doesn't happen in life. You know, half of our psalms right in the middle of the Bible, half of them are psalms of lament. Um, so I think for, for sevens, uh, doubt, questioning, uh, grieving a loss, working through the entire emotional range of not only life, but of your spiritual life, I think is a, is a healthy practice to have a fullness when it comes to being a, a good, healthy person. There you go. All nine numbers. That's awesome. Wow. Boom. Um, do you want us to read the little description thingies? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's read those. Okay. And then I think we'll, those are really helpful. Absolutely. We'll read those, and then um, I'd love to know, uh, Charlie, if, if you know what Justin is. I do. I'm here to four. Did you? Nice. I sure did. Congratulations. <laughs> and that's girl. what's really, yeah, that's right. And it's it's really unique, too, because I remember when I was first hired, and um, when Justin and I got to meet Scott and Allie, that was one of the first real connections that we made to the church of, like, the community and the people and it was one of those steps where it's like, oh, cool. Okay. As long as we move here, we'll have at least somebody. John, we didn't get the privilege of meeting you yet. So don't feel <laughs> left out. But we did. It was it was a moment where I'm like, I just feel like we can relate to them. And then finding out, you know, eights are often mistaken for threes and vice versa. I- I'm often mistaken as a three sometimes. And then with Allie being a four, it just made perfect sense. Okay. So you, you say that and um, Justin, in my interactions with him, he's... I would say maybe he's got a little bit of wing five, if I'm understanding wing correctly, because he is sort of that, like your first, my first impression of him was like, man, he's really quiet. He's really observant. Yeah. And then you see him, observant. you see him kind of light up whenever like you hit on something that, um, you know, that resonates with him, you know? And yeah. so I can see, and I have a little bit of that in me, so. Yeah. I think where we find the definition for him is, and as his wife, he's extremely emotionally driven. Um, and his emotions can waver hour by hour, and those decisions that he makes can then in turn waver depending Which is on very that. So. Not five. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not at all. Like fives but, can feel it and let it go, and fours yeah. cannot do that. He is trying. It's one of those things. Oh man, he's gonna listen to this. He's gonna kill me when he hears this. But <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those things that he. I admire him for it because as a person, he's working on that, and he knows he really appreciates winging as a five and would love to, I mean, everybody wants to be a five, right? The intellectuals, like the smart people that have already thought about the answer. So he's on a track in his life right now of of self-discovery in that and spiritual discovery in himself. And often he is, I don't, force is a bad word, but he's often pushing himself to make better decisions in that kind of more thought provoking way and a thoughtful way. And just to kind of pause and almost compartmentalize where his feelings are and say, I'm going to feel about this at this time, but right now I'm going to make a decision based on the intellect involved. Yeah. Which is definitely like part of the growth of the Enneagram is, you know, you can't change your number. You can't become a five because you want to be a five, but you can see these are the things I tend to do. And this is how I could respond instead. That's a healthier version of being my number or whatever. Yeah. Yes. Yes. All right. What it's like to be a five. I can take care of myself and I think others can do the same. I don't always say things out loud, but in my head, I'm pretty sarcastic and cynical. I often feel awkward around other people. I'm okay if people ask me a few specific questions about myself, but I don't like it when people want too much information. I need time by myself. I think thoughts are more reliable than feelings. I need a couple of days to process an experience or know how I feel about something. Often I find that I would rather observe than participate. I can't understand why people get together just to hang out. I'm a listener. I have to be very careful with my time and energy. I get tired when I have to be with people for too long. Sometimes I think I should be more more generous, but it's hard for me. And groups being uninformed makes me feel uncomfortable. I don't like big social gatherings. I'd rather be with a few people. Alrighty. What it's like to be a (laughs) six. Okay. I'm always imagining and planning for the worst, and I often don't trust people who are in authority. People say I am loyal, understanding, funny, and compassionate. 
Most of my friends don't have as much anxiety as I do. I act quickly in a crisis, but when things settle down, I tend to fall apart. Being sure that I've made the right decision is almost impossible. I don't like to find myself in unpredictable situations. I generally am not comfortable with extremes. I usually have so much to do, it's hard for me to finish my tasks. I'm slow to start, but once I do get started, I find myself continuing to think about what could go wrong. It helps me to have things in some kind of order. I have to know people for a long time before I can really trust them, and I'm skeptical of things that are new and unknown. Okay, and lastly, what it feels like to be a seven. I'm always the first person up for a last minute adventure. I'm an optimist to a fault. I don't like making hard and fast commitments to things. I suffer from FOMO, which is fear of missing out. Um, anticipation is the best part of life. Variety and spontaneity are the spice of life. Sometimes I get so eager for the future I can hardly wait for it to get here. It's hard for me to finish things. When I get close to the end of a project, I start thinking about the next thing, and then I get so excited I sometimes just move on. I usually avoid heavy conversations and confrontations. When people I care about are having a hard time, I help them look on the bright side of the situation. Other people think I am sure of myself, but I have a lot of doubts. When things get too serious for too long, I usually find a way to get people to lighten up, often by telling jokes or funny stories. I don't like endings, so I usually wait for people to break up with me. I think people worry more than they should. Life is better than people imagine. It's all about how you explain things to yourself. I don't like when people have expectations of me. Whoa, that was really weird. So, <laughs> I'm more confused I mean, than I have been the whole time. Oh my well, what's goodness! Funny, I, I well now I'm relating because I mean, <laughs> for so much of my life I've, it, and I don't want to get too much into wings because I want everyone to explore that for your own and make sure that you really understand the basis of things and the, the basics of Enneagram before you get into that kind of stuff. But I've just hearing the description the description of seven. I know very distinctly seasons of my life that that has been me. And a lot here lately, I've really moved into that. That's that's just weird. I'm kind of going to have to meditate for a while today. Well, even so that's where it's hard with like people's beliefs on wings. And that's part of why we didn't talk about it. Because right. some people that teach the Enneagram think you have one wing your entire life. Exactly. And some people think you switch halfway through or have both or yeah. whatever. I've definitely um, related to it being seasons. Yeah. But that's just me. It's interesting what you said at the at the end. Um, I I would say I have a little bit of FOMO on things, um, not often, but you said at the end that um, sevens aren't the ones that break up. <laughs> I I've always I've never Don't broken tell us up. A story with right now about breakup. Oh, Which like that could be true of a lot of people. So like that's yeah. a hard thing to take one and then decide what? because. Yeah, well, because if a six is a loyalist, I would I would imagine that yeah. was that well, was and nines don't like too. confrontation, so nines aren't going to break up with you. Yeah, like, right. They're right. going to avoid that. They're just going to keep staying in it you know? for different <laughs> reasons. <laughs> okay, yeah. so, so I've always I've always been the one that's been broken up with. This is like heartbreak hour. I have, but I have. Okay, so I do I <laughs> do regret one time in tenth grade I was talking to a girl. Uh -oh. And I just stopped talking to her <laughs> because I didn't oh, want to. I didn't want to tell her I wasn't interested. <laughs> I didn't want to hurt her feelings. You're the dude I've written songs about, bro. Probably. Yeah, but I had good intentions. I didn't want to hurt her feelings. I just didn't That's realize until say. much later. Good intentions that... don't always <laughs> I know. Oh, it was terrible. I feel so bad about it now. <laughs> There's two girls in this podcast. We're going to take you down. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, when I'm famous, an eight. So we're really gonna take you. Down <laughs> really, be friends. careful, bro. For real, for real. <laughs> I like I said, I, I do have regrets. So, um, well, let me let me ask you guys real quick, Scott and Ellie. How have how has knowing the Enneagram helped you, or how how have you seen it help you in your relationship together, or help you in your personal growth, or how have you seen it help others in their in their growth? Just a a quick story before we depart, before we you know wrap a bow on this. Uh, for for the series um, so that we can encourage people to continue to dive into this a little bit more. Yeah, I think the Enneagram for me uh, keeps reminding me that that the world doesn't see life like I see it. Not everyone does. So, you know, it's just a reminder that the world doesn't revolve around me. That's really important for a three. Um, that failure is a good teacher. And, and it just gives less, it, it gives language that I normally wouldn't have. So I understand Allie in a deeper way, in a deeper level than I would before. Um, yeah. There you go. That's a pretty good answer. Um, I think that Enneagram encourages kindness, which is something that I value a lot. Um, and teaching children, you know, there's always um, something behind everybody that you don't know about. And so I think it gives me a better perspective on how I receive other people that are different from me. Um, I think that's a good use of the Enneagram. I think also, you know, not using your number as a crutch, but using it as a place for you to start finding areas for growth. Um, Suzanne Seville talks a lot about, you know, being able to observe yourself non-judgmentally. So I think that the first step of using the Enneagram is always self-awareness um, and then bringing that awareness into your daily thoughts and actions and your relationships. You know, how how can I better communicate why I feel this way? Um, I think the Enneagram gives really good insight for that. So I would encourage everyone to continue exploring, you know, Suzanne Seville, we've talked about a lot. She has um, other like audio stuff up, like one of her uh, seminars is at the Enneagram and relationships or different, different things like that. So you can take a category that you're more interested in and learn more about that. Or there's wings and stances. There's so many things that you can look into um, that really just gives you a lot more depth than just knowing your number, but that's always the place to start. So I encourage you to do that. And, you know, you said something about fear I want to touch on, um, or not about fear, about kindness. Um, Mr. Scott Day, Pastor Scott, just recently um, delivered a message in um, here at FBC, and there was something that you said towards the end. The way that you tied that up has stuck with me since. I think it's going to stick with me for a while. And it was, I'm pretty sure it was you. Call me out if this wasn't <laughs> you. Don't take credit for if it wasn't you. But it was um, going throughout life because of what you've learned through your life story and your testimony and your experience, assuming as if everybody's got something else going on. Assume, just go throughout life, throughout meeting people and assume that they, they have some kind of skeleton in their closet or they have something they're struggling with internally. Was that you? Yeah. That was kind of, yeah. That's how you close Sunday. Yeah. It's a, it's a line from Richard Rohr. Um, and he says that the greatest transformation in life is either through great love or great suffering. And so, um, you know, for me, it's, I think that everyone in their own way has gone through some type of suffering and has some type of pain, whether we want to talk about it or not. Some numbers on the Enneagram are, are better at dealing with that emotionally and better at talking about it. And some of us, like sevens, like to push that down and don't talk about it at all. So, uh, yeah, but right at its best, the Enneagram gives us empathy to others. Yeah, so, it's a good yeah, word. Being able to recognize that people are hurting and and not judging that hurt, but simply trying to take that weight off of their shoulder, I think is a good first step. And I think that's a good way to sort of wrap this up because we we talked going in that the the idea of of going through this exercise of using it as a tool 
to understand yourself better was for the purpose of spiritual growth and was for the purpose of um being able to have more harmony with each other in the body of Christ or in our in our relationships even i think one of the greatest flaws of our society is we we tend to feel like even if we don't admit it we all sort of take a stance of like we're okay and everybody else is the problem <laughs> and i think the more you can be honest with yourself and the problems that you bring to the table um and sometimes they're not problems sometimes it's just it's it's personality type it, it, it's just and it's it's the strengths that you bring it's the things yeah. that you're you're missing in your personality not in a not in a bad sense but just that that you don't have that another person brings as a strength um so i think the more we can understand that the better we can empathize with each other the better we can support each other and at the end of the day the goal of the bible is not is not for us to say some little prayer so that we go to heaven when we die and we make grandma happy or whatever the goal of the bible the end that it's working towards is that you're made into the image of Christ. And you cannot do that if you're not honest with yourself. You cannot do that if you're not honest with your flaws and the things that you need uh, for Christ to redeem in you. And the the more that you can use each other and Bible study and personality tools like the Enneagram to get to that end, I think the better off we will we will all be. So those are my closing words. Second them. Excellent. Well, I want to say thank you guys so much for walking us through this. It's it's a brief introduction. I'm sure I'm going to go ahead and just say, if anybody wants to know anything more about it, call Scott yeah. or Allie, <laughs> <laughs> buy them lunch or coffee. Yeah, yeah I'll come. I'll come. <laughs> <laughs> and they would love to talk to you more about it. We're also going to post some show notes. We've, we've talked about things this whole time. Other podcasts to listen to that dive a little bit deeper. Books. Uh, a new one just came out from AJ Sherrill that we shared last week it was do, do you remember the title i didn't write it down the uh the enneagram for spiritual formation that's what i was gonna say oh. but i didn't want to be wrong like i was last week last yeah. time i corrected yeah. you i'm sorry yeah <laughs> no it's totally no i yes <laughs> that, that's totally what it was uh so yeah so we'll we'll check we'll post it post those in the show notes check those out if you're interested in diving further and let me use this time too to uh promote our next series starting next month we're going to oh. do a series that we're calling holy ghost stories and this is really going to just be walking through uh, how do you how do you determine um, times in your life when the Holy Spirit may have been moving or not? Or how do you determine times when you feel like God may have been speaking to you? And what do you do with the times in your life when there's not, when there's just when you're faced with silence? Because there's plenty of that as well. So we're going to explore that a little bit. I'm going to talk about my story with that and the things that I've discovered in my spiritual walk. We're going to have Sam talk and then... Kristen is going to share her story and Travis is going to share part of his story. So I invite you to be a part of that all during the month of October on the podcast, Holy Ghost Stories. But for now, we are putting a bow on Know Thyself. I want to thank Scott and Allie for joining us for these four weeks. I want to thank Charlie for being with us today. And of course, speaking for Sam, I know he has really enjoyed this time together as well. So on his behalf, for Scott, for Allie, for Charlie... I'm John Lemons. Thank you so much for joining us this month. And we hope you will join us again in October for Holy Ghost Stories. See you next time.